Are you ready to take full control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. will teach you the tools and strategies to help you take control of your health and inspire you to live your best life. Now here is your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, M.D. Welcome to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. This is a show designed to inform and inspire you to a healthier lifestyle. I am your host, Diane A. Thompson, M.D., and as always, it is my pleasure spending time with you on this broadcast with the goal that you may learn something that may improve your health and or your life. I would like to remind you that the information presented in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended for diagnosis or treatment. Please consult with your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health. This week we have a very, very interesting guest for you. Her name is Helene Waldman, and she is a holistic nutrition educator with a passion for helping those with breast cancer. She is a faculty member at Hawthorne University. She's also a columnist, a private practitioner, a consultant to breast cancer clinics and doctors, and an author of the book, The Whole Food Guide for Breast Cancer Survivors a nutritional approach to preventing recurrence. Helene Waldman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I wonder if you could share with us what motivated you to write this book. Well, from a personal perspective, um, what motivated the book was cancer in my family. I lost my father, aunt, and also a very, very dear friend uh, to breast cancer. Um, So... That was my personal reason for writing the book. It has touched me uh, very, very closely. But also breast cancer is the second leading cause of cancer death in women just after lung cancer, and it represents 28% of uh, all the cancers that women get. And that is just way, way, way too much. Um, We can make that number smaller if women are educated about all the various things they can do to empower themselves to keep this disease at bay. And you're you're right, so many women are diagnosed with this, and there's so much that can be done, and, and many people don't have access to this information. And the thing that you focus on in your book is that of nutrition. Why do you think nutrition is so important in the fight against breast cancer? Well, because that's what the data has told us. Um, for years, there's thousands of studies um, that support the notion that what we put in our bodies actually affects the expression of our genes. And those genes can either express or, let's say, manifest health or disease. And what we eat and the nutrients in what we eat directly affect that expression. Let me let me tell you about a great study that happened in um, quite a while ago now in 1992, but it's such a seminal study about nutrition and cancer that I, I love to talk about it. Uh, what they did was they, they used rats, which are often used as, as human surrogates, as you know in research, and they gave the rats a known carcinogen known as DMBA. <clears throat> then they divided the rats into five groups after the carcinogen was administered. One group had no nutrients given to them. One group um, had one nutrient. Uh, the second the nutrients that were administered were vitamin C, vitamin A, and or selenium and or magnesium. Those were the four that they played with. 
So when they gave the rats one of those nutrients, the cancer rate went from 100% down to 50% with one of those nutrients. When they gave the rats two of those nutrients, the cancer rate went down to 30%. When they gave the rats three of those nutrients, the cancer rate went down to 20%. And when they got all four of those nutrients, the rate went down to about 11%. Now, that is a very, very profound result and something that we don't know about, and we should. Absolutely. We really should. Talk a little bit about the standard American diet and why you think it's not helpful in decreasing our cancer risk. Well, the standard American diet, unfortunately, consists of a great many processed carbohydrates like cereal, pasta, and bread, and we're noticeably lacking whole foods like whole milk, cheese, uh, pastured meat, eggs, butter, um, vegetables, fruits, whole grains. But what we do tend to load up on is vegetable oils and margarines and packaged products and fake soy meat. Those are big. Soy is in everything, and 90% of the soy is GMO, genetically modified at this point. So not only are we getting a lot of junk that is foreign to our bodies, because these are not really foods. These are what I would call food products. I mean, they didn't come from nature. They came from a factory, so they're not really food. So we're getting some poison, a lot of toxins in that, and we're also not getting what we need, which are vitamins, the B vitamins, and C, and D, and A, and choline, and minerals, and, you know, all those phytonutrients. The standard American diet is very, very damaging, and we've not only seen it with cancer, but we've seen it with obesity, we've seen it with diabetes, we've seen it with a host of inflammatory disorders and autoimmune disorders and Alzheimer's and on and on and on. So we know that there's something very, very wrong with what we're putting into our uh, bodies every day. What I, I wonder if you could then share, because you, you talk a little bit about something being wrong with what we put in our bodies every day. Unfortunately, these foods taste so good to a lot of people, and you know they, they have trouble avoiding them. Other things that are out there, in addition to the foods that we eat that are not great for us, are, are different um, toxins and exposures. Can you talk a little bit about those uh, toxins that are out there that puts us at risk for cancer? Yeah, well, you know, I really have to start with genetically modified foods. I mean, I believe that, and many others as well, believe that they really are the most significant toxic threat facing us at this point. And I do want folks to know that um, almost 90% of our corn, 90% of our soy, our canola, or the rapeseed plant, sugar beets, and then some of our uh, some of our squash and alfalfa, they are genetically modified, but the things that we really need to look out for especially are the corn, soy, canola, and the sugar beets because those are absolutely ubiquitous in the food supply. Now, for a long time, uh, a lot of the research was done in Europe and wasn't really published in this country, so one could have said, you know, the jury is out on their health effects, but there's more study results starting to creep out now, and there was a recent one from 2012 that was actually published in a, a journal called the Food and Chemical Toxicology Journal. And they fed genetically modified or genetically engineered corn to rats 
And what they found was that the rats de- uh, developed much higher incidences of, of cancer, their tumors were larger, and that they died more quickly than those that were fed a normal diet. Uh, they also, uh, there was another study done on uh, rats in 2011, and when they uh, looked at the rats after they were gone, dead, they showed extensive organ damage in rats that were fed genetically modified soy. Now, this is really troubling to me because um, there is a, the, what genetically modified soy actually is genetically modified to do is to withstand massive doses of pesticides. All that pesticide, of course, gets passed on to us, and when we eat processed food that says textured soy protein or textured vegetable protein or all of these products that contain soy, we are are ingesting those massive quantities of um, glyphosate, which is the main herbicide used um, uh, for soybeans. It's also troubling that in 2012, sugar beets were approved to be genetically modified, and so many of our food products say sugar. So what folks need to look for if they are going to buy a package of food with sugar in it is it should say cane sugar on it, because at least we know the sugar is not genetically modified. I mean, I'm not happy that whenever when my clients eat sugar, but better to eat real sugar than fake sugar. So that's I think, is at the top of my list. Now, second, right underneath all that is real sugar and other kinds of artificial sweeteners because artificial sweeteners really are, um, are toxic. Again, they're not native to the body. And formaldehyde is the breakdown product of aspartame, and um, formaldehyde is a known carcinogen. So uh, we, we have that problem. Uh, Splenda is a chlorinated sugar, so it's got chlorine molecules in it attached to sugar, which chlorine we know also is uh, is a toxin, and it also competes in our body with iodine. So the more chlorine that we ingest, the less iodine we're able to absorb, and iodine is one of our anti-cancer nutrients. See, some of the other things I, I like to warn people about are uh, Teflon cookware. Uh, that, especially when it's heated to a high temperature, releases, uh, and especially when it's scratched, can be very, very toxic. Uh, plastics like the phthalates that are found in plastic drinking water bottles, the BPA that's found in some bottles and can and package liners, these mimic estrogen. And so they really um, increase what I would call our estrogen load, making it very difficult for our bodies to be actually be able to process that much, much estrogen. In terms of our personal care products, those are a real problem as well because they have chemicals in them like ethylene oxide and dioxane and nitrosamines, also formaldehyde, acrylamide, which is a known carcinogen, which, by the way, is also very prevalent in potato chips. So these toxins um, actually go right through the skin when we put these personal care products on our skin, and especially if they're made with what are called nanoparticles, because those are little, little, little tiny particles that can actually get very easily into the blood vessels and then just travel all over our bodies. A few other toxins I I want to mention that people might not necessarily think of as toxins per se, but to me they certainly are, 
Um, I would say that farmed fish are quite toxic because they are fed a diet of genetically modified corn and soy and given lots of antibiotics and sometimes other drugs. Our tap water can be quite toxic to us, depending upon where we live, but uh, many, many communities, all municipal water supplies are chlorinated. And as I mentioned before, that does compete with iodine. And the other chemical that is liberally dropped into many communities' water is fluoride. And fluoride also competes with iodine. So when we are drinking chlorine and fluoride every day, we're making ourselves terribly deficient in iodine. As I said, especially with breast cancer, iodine is one of the key nutrients that helps protect our breast cells. And these toxins are stored in adipose tissue, meaning fat cells. And so those who are overweight are going to have even higher risk than others because they're more toxic. You weren't kidding when you said that these toxins are ubiquitous. I mean, you mentioned some of the foods that we eat on a daily basis, and I think many times we don't think about it, the artificial sugar or the, the um, genetically modified foods, the cookware, plastic. We've heard a lot in the in the media recently about the plastic drinking water bottle. And so some of these things I think we can avoid, but then there are others I wonder how much we're able to avoid. It's a serious uh, problem, Dr. Diane. It really is. And um, I'm hoping that you know this initiative will pass in Washington. Maybe that can be a model state for others to follow suit. But, but right now, no, we don't have labeling of these ingredients. Which I agree with you. It is a travesty. We're going to take a short break for our sponsors. When we do come back, we'll talk a little bit about organic foods. And one of the things you mentioned earlier is the relationship between cancer and sugar. We'll talk about that because so many of us consume a lot of sugar, and I think this is important information for us to know. So we'll take a short break, and we will be back. Listen to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. for tools and strategies to live a healthy, happy, and successful life. For details, go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Are you ready to take control of your physical, emotional, and spiritual health? Are you ready to experience great success in your life? Join us for Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on Atlanta's incredible radio, AM 1570 WIGO or listen live stream at WIGOAM.com. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Health Talk. And my guest today is Elaine Waldman, who is a holistic nutrition educator and very passionate about helping women with breast cancer. And she's co-author of the book, The Whole Food Guide for Breast Cancer Survivors, A Nutritional Approach to Preventing Recurrence. And uh, she shared with us some really important information earlier in the show about some of the toxins that are out there. And I'm sure many of you are now aware that you're probably consuming these on a daily basis. Helene, I wonder if you could comment on the relationship between cancer and sugar. Oh, sure. Sugar is actually, um, and again, I'm talking about any kind of sugar, not, not just the genetically modified type of sugar, but sugar actually depresses the immune system. 
and one can of Coke can depress the white blood cell count for about five to six hours. So when you think about the fact that many people are, are drinking you know, a few cans of Coke a day or a few cans of soda a day, and that has about maybe 10 to 12 teaspoonfuls of sugar in it, uh, that's a chronically depressed immune system. So that's going to predispose, that's going to be a risk factor for cancer in the first place. But once a cancer has taken hold in the body, uh, there was a doctor and a biochemist named Otto Warburg who won a Nobel Prize actually in 1931. He was brilliant. And he did a lot of research on cancer. And he found out that cancer cells are different than our other cells because our other cells can actually use fat or sugar to provide energy, to create energy. But cancer cells are completely dependent on sugar. So he called them, Warburg called cancer cells, obligate sugar metabolizers, meaning they have no other way to get energy other than from sugar. So they have they are form themselves in a particular way so that they can reach out and grab as much sugar as possible. They actually have... Uh, receptors on them, which are specific to taking in insulin. Insulin is sort of a companion to sugar. It helps sugar get into cells. So when you have more insulin receptors on a cell, it means you're bringing more sugar into those cells. And we know that cancer cells have a lot more insulin receptors on them than normal cells. And it's estimated that their uptake of sugar is probably about five times that of normal cells. So we know there are several ways in which sugar itself can actually um, accelerate the growth of a cancer. And as I mentioned just a minute ago, sugar also, uh, more sugar in the blood increases the amount of insulin in the blood because insulin not only accompanies or helps sugar get into the cells, but it also helps to manage the level of sugar in our blood. So if there's too much, which obviously there is when we drink a soda, our pancreas is going to um, secrete insulin, which is a hormone, to manage, to push down that level of blood sugar. That's one of its jobs, is to help manage our blood sugar levels. But another job of insulin, in addition to that, is that it is a growth hormone. It's a catalyst in promoting cell growth. So if we eat more sugar then we're going to be having a lot of excess insulin roaming around our bodies. And that's going to be promoting a lot of extra cell growth. And that's going to profoundly increase the risk and the progression of cancer. Wow. So we really need to pay a lot more attention to the amount of sugar that we're putting in our bodies. And of course, in a country where we consume so much sugar, what would you suggest as alternatives for, you know, people want to avoid sugars, but, you know, they still have a sweet tooth? Yeah, I know. It is. It's very difficult. Sugar is very, very addictive. And I, but people need to remember this, which is that nature never intended for us to consume this much sugar and nature never intended for us to, um, when we do take in sugar, in, in forms that are so refined that there's no fiber or nothing else to help modulate you know, that rush of sugar into our, into our bloodstream. So if we use sugars in moderation that have other factors to help modulate the rush into our bloodstream, like raw honey, uh, pure maple syrup, uh, stevia, 
those are some things, those are some natural, natural sweeteners that, yes, they will raise your blood sugar, but not in the dramatic way that refined sugar will, not as quickly. Therefore, you will have less insulin in your body. You will have less growth-promoting activity in your body. So I would suggest those. I would not recommend anything like NutraSweet or Splenda. As I mentioned earlier, those are toxins. Those are not foods. Those are chemicals. So it's like taking a toxic drug. Anytime you drink a soda, a diet soda, or you put some Splenda or Equal or NutraSweet in your coffee, it's like taking a drug. Another way, so, so first of all, you can switch over to healthy sweeteners. There's a couple of sweeteners that I particularly like. Um, one is called xylitol, and it is a sugar. It's from a, it's from birch trees, but it's a sugar that has no impact on blood glucose. Interestingly enough, it's spelled X Y L I T O L. The thing that's amazing about it is that it's pretty indistinguishable from cane sugar. It looks like it, it tastes like it, it bakes like it. You don't even have to have any uh, differences, you know, um, equivalencies in your baking. So that's uh, something that can be used. But even so, I would I would try and back off because our bodies are just not designed to really take in that much sugar. A couple of other things I, I want to mention about that. Um, sugar will raise your blood sugar profoundly when it's eaten in isolation. So if you drink a Coke or even if you drink a glass of fruit juice, which has some health benefits to it, but it's largely sugar because we've taken the fiber out of the fruit. We take the we take an apple and we juice it. All we have left is the sugary part of the apple, not the fiber. So if we are going to eat something sweet and we combine it with fiber or a healthy fat or with protein, that slows down the release. So instead of turning the faucet on full, it becomes more of a drip. That's what we want. So we can also be careful about how we eat, when we eat sugar, how we do it and it will be less harmful for us if we combine it with protein, fat, healthy fat, or fiber. There's also some herbs that are wonderful in modulating blood sugar. Cinnamon is one of them. Cinnamon is uh, one of the best blood sugar modulators around. So uh, if you like cinnamon and you know you want to have a treat, something kind of an apple crisp or something, and there's sugar in it, make sure there's plenty of cinnamon as well. Now, I don't say any of this to encourage anyone to eat sugar because I absolutely discourage people to eat sugar, but these are sort of transitional things that you can do as you are trying to back off on the sugar. These are some ways that you can still have some sweetness as you try and, as I say, move back and and back off those high levels of, of sugar. So what I do to try and keep on top of this with my clients is I have them monitor what's called their hemoglobin A1C level. That's something they can get in a blood test. Their doctor can authorize it or they can go on the web. There's labs where you can do sort of a self-service blood testing now. And this looks at your blood sugar level over the past, say, three months or so. And if we have a reasonable level, and I would say reasonable in this case would be probably under maybe somewhere between 4.7 and 5.3 would be reasonable, um, then we know that our body is handling our sugar well and it's not causing us problems. But when that level starts to creep up, 5.7, 5.8, and when it's over 6, then we're already uh, you know on our way to diabetes, 
then we really have to get very aggressive about managing our blood sugar. It is key to the control of cancer. Now, I know that in your book, and the book, by the way, is called The Whole Food Guide for Breast Cancer Survivors, A Nutritional Approach to Preventing Recurrence. Uh, One of the things that's mentioned is um, that of organic food, and there is some controversy about that. From time to time, people will say, It's important that you go organic. Others will say it doesn't matter. What we do know for sure is that organic tends to be more expensive. So for those who are on the fence or contemplating whether or not they should shell out the extra money to get organic foods, what do you say? Well, I say organic is is always better, but I understand that some people can't go all organic. So let me just start by saying why organic is always better, and then I'll give you some advice for folks who, you know, who need to watch their, their budgets. So why is organic always better? Well, obviously um, a part of why organic is better is because of what you don't get, and it's kind of funny that we have to pay more for getting less in a way. But the typical vegetable or fruit out there might have as much as 20 different pesticides applied to it. Something like a strawberry or a potato that's very vulnerable um, has many, 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 many different types of pesticides and some of these are, are known or have been classified by the World Health Organization some as possible carcinogens and some as probable carcinogens. So there's no doubt that these pesticides are wreaking havoc on our body. Um, As we talked about before, GMOs are a real threat, and if something is not organic, we cannot be sure that there are not genetically modified aspects to it. I think the part that people sometimes don't realize is not only what you don't get, but what you do get when you get organic. Because the way I like to think about it, the way I like to teach it is this. I say, look, you know, plants can't be healthy unless the soil is healthy, right? When the soil is not healthy, then farmers have to apply all kinds of fertilizers and products to try and get them to grow because they won't grow otherwise. But if you have healthy soil and it has things like magnesium and calcium and silicon, trace minerals like silicon and boron and vanadium and chromium and all kinds of fabulously important Uh, nutrients for our body, then the plant is going to not need those fertilizers. Well, that's what organic, how organic farming works is it works by relying on the health of the soil and what those plants get from the soil are all those wonderful vitamins and minerals. And we're very blessed when we eat organic food that those plants then pass on those fabulously healthy nutrients to us. It's a gift. We don't get that gift from conventional produce, unfortunately. It's true. Some people cannot afford organic, although we have done price comparisons uh, looking at what people buy. And for most folks, if they give up the packaged foods and they give up some of the expensive products that they buy, they find that they actually can afford organic because it's cheaper than buying something in a box with pretty colors and all kinds of you know rainbow decorations. It really is. But if they truly cannot, there is a resource. It's a fabulous resource out there provided by the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, organic, uh, I'm sorry, Environmental Working Group. And what they have is they have a list they call the Dirty Dozen, 
And these are the worst offenders, fruits and vegetables that have the most pesticides and herbicides and fungicides applied to them in the biggest amounts. And they also have a list called the Clean 15. So if you go to that website, ewg.org, they have a downloadable um, list of the Dirty Dozen, the Clean 15, and you actually can print it out and fold it up and put it in your wallet and take it with you to, um, to, to the market so that you, know, you can choose, you can prioritize which fruits and vegetables you're going to get organic and which ones you're not. And the last thing I, I wanted to mention about that was that most communities now have farmer's markets, and many of the farmer's markets offer lots and lots of organic uh, options. And you take the middleman out when you go to the farmer's market, so you're actually paying a lot less for an organic, let's say an organic peach at the farmer's market than you would at Whole Foods, for example. So if you can find your local farmer's market or uh, community-supported agriculture where they will actually deliver, um, you can subscribe like I do. I get a box every week of organic fruits and vegetables from a local farm. Um, it works out financially to be affordable. So that's great advice for those who are thinking organic, but uh, probably think it's a little bit too expensive. You have been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD on 1570 AM WIGO. Please tune in every Thursday at 7 PM Eastern Standard Time for the best in inspirational health information. If you have missed any part of this broadcast, would like to find out more about Dr. Diane A. Thompson, or would like to receive her ebook on stress, please go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash drdianethompson. Remember, your health is your wealth, so do something healthy for yourself. Have a great evening.